Greetings, listeners. This is the Roster Doctor. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to make a quick comment. This is the last episode recorded for the before the banned and restricted list update. And so we're going to be talking about drop-off and med-pack and patch-up and other such cards without the context of the banned and restricted list being in fact. Um, all future episodes will definitely uh, take that into account. But uh, yeah, keep that in mind while watching. And enjoy! Hello and welcome to Roster Doctor, where we fix up your roster. Today I'm joined by Kill Panic, or better known as David. Uh, welcome, David. How's it going? It's going good, uh, Doctor, and thanks for thanks for seeing me. I got a I got a sick roster, and I'm hoping you can help me make it sicker. Yeah, sick good or sick bad? I was about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we're about to find that out. Yeah. So. Uh, this episode is kind of a special standout episode to me because, David, you're a newer player, and this is trying to come from the perspective of somebody who's not been building rosters a lot. You're kind of trying to figure out the big, scary world of roster building. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, I've ac actually never uh, played the... Um... The, the crisis mode in the game. I've only ever played, you know, those big uh, multiplayer scenarios, either as demo games or uh, or uh, solo solo missions. Yeah, and I think definitely for a new player, it's it, it can be really scary to go from like the demo game where everything's fixed, or like an ultimate encounter, to now you've got these. I think it's like in the quintillion, if not more, possible choices. Oh, jeez. Um, because it's like essentially it's like fifty to the tenth times God knows how much more. But it, it, there's so many choices, and you can make a ton of crazy teams, and so it's really hard to do that. And so I think that's definitely something that I want to dive into here today. Because from my personal experience, I started at essentially the launch of the game. I started with Hulk, Modok, and Corset. You essentially picked two characters to cut. You picked one secure to cut, one extract to cut, and then you figured out your tactics cards from there. Uh, whereas now, it's not cutting from a tiny pool of options, it's you have to build from scratch. And I think that's really intimidating to a lot of newer players. Yeah, you might even say there's a plethora of options. Yes, <laughs> plethora might not be a strong enough word, um, <laughs> but th there's a ton. Um, Absolutely. And so well, we'll get into it more in a second, but you picked Guardians of the Galaxy as kind of your entry point here. Uh, why Guardians in particular? Well, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I was uh, really charmed by the James Gunn movies, uh, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Guard Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, you know, I think they're a standout in the uh, in the MCO series. And, uh, you know, those movies as a whole really sort of helped rekindle my, my, uh, my uh, love for uh, the comic genre in general. Um, the other thing it was when I was first introduced to the game was right at the beginning of this year. So, you know, there were already, uh, I don't know, uh, eight or 12 expansion packs, maybe not that many, uh, plus the core set, just, uh, just sort of getting started, um, up here. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I played one demo game and I was, I was hooked because not only are the models really beautiful and, uh, with a, um, um, uh, of a subject matter that I'm already interested in, but it turns out the game is really fun, has a lot of uh, tactical depth as well. And it just so happens that when I decided that I was going to, you know, jump uh, uh, in with both feet, uh, the big thing that everybody was waiting on were the Guardians of the Galaxy. So 
Um, the Star Lord and Gruten Rocket were the first uh, expansion I picked up after the core set, and I never looked back. Yeah, and uh, just for a bit of uh, background experience, real quick, uh, what, what's your level of tabletop gaming experience? Are you a 40k veteran, a fantasy battles veteran, War Machine? Uh, did you play any of those in the past? I'm a, I'm a very experienced uh, tabletop gamer. Uh, I've been gaming um, uh, with miniatures uh, for, uh, oh, I would say, uh, 40 years now, actually. So a really long time. Um, I'm, I've been, um, I would say, the preponderance of my experience is with historical miniatures gaming. But I'm also, of course, very familiar with the GW games. And, you know, as I've, uh, as I've gotten older, I've gotten uh, away from those big sort of weekend-long panoramic games and more and more interesting sort of, uh, you know, skirmish gaming that you, you can play in, a, in an afternoon. Um, yeah, that so. was going to be my exact next question, because in my experience, skirmish is very different from like a full-on 2K, uh, 40K army, or like the old Warhammer Fantasy, uh, almost like push-brooming bricks of uh, miniatures around. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I would say that these days my my miniatures gaming interest is exclusively in skir- skirmish games, uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol, of course, uh, Saga is a sort of historical uh, historical game, Warcry, Necromunda, um, you know, all those uh, uh, Frostgrave, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've I've played a lot of those over the years. I tend to focus on more competitively oriented games, which is why I focus on Crisis Protocol. But I I do love me the occasional Frostgrave game, especially when you get all the terrain out. Uh, a lot of skirmish games do a real good job of making beautiful boards to play, whereas the big army ones tend to be flatter in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm not quite sure why I mentioned Frostgrave. It just probably glanced over at the rule book, but um, I, it wasn't really uh, appealing to me as well. I like a I like a crunchy game. I like a game where you know you can you can try hard to win, right, and not have your opponent feel like you're uh, you're kind of. Uh, cheesing them out of something right yeah frostgrave frostgrave is you know just just this side of a role-playing game i think but you know that's a topic for uh, for another podcast i guess yeah yeah i i could spend a while talking about frostgrave i i part of me loves it but i hate the balance in it it is the short of it Um, gotcha gotcha uh but yeah why don't we just uh get into your roster real quick i think a lot of these selections are going to be pretty self-evident but there's a couple of interesting ones uh, so for the characters, you've got Star-Lord, Root, Rocket, Ronan, Drax, Gamora, Nebula, the Power Gem, Thor, and Ghost Rider. So the first eight are pretty obvious to me. That's all the Guardians of the Galaxy releases. And then you've uh, opted for both Thor and Ghost Rider. Um, Thor, I'm assuming, is because, uh, well, you're an MCP, or not an MC, MCU fan. Uh, too similar of an acronym. Uh, yeah. and also he's going to be doing at least one movie with the Guardians in uh, the nebulous future unless COVID somehow changes that uh, but Ghost Rider is interesting to me why, why did you pick Ghost Rider? So, uh, so you're exactly right. By the way, why I picked why I picked Thor. He's uh, he's uh, thematically very consistent with the with the rest of the team. Um, but uh, the reason why I have both Thor and Ghost Rider in the uh, in the roster are as uh, uh, well, are as five threat characters, and I have other reasons why I'm choosing Ghost Rider. But I'll get into that in a sec. The reason why I wanted to uh, fill out 
you know the 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 two flex slots at least as I initially see them with high threat characters is that um, it seems to me as a, as an experienced a gamer but rookie um, MCPer that the guardians are kind of a kind of a a, a weenie list they um, uh, their main advantage seems to be uh, in barely effective and lower cost uh, models compared to a lot of the other factions. Um, and so I really wanted to leverage the, um, the, the ability of the roster to like field a lot of, a lot of people. Um, when I had the opportunity to set the, set the agenda and, uh, and um, uh, pick the crisis, but, I recognize that that's only going to happen about half the time, right? Um, and sometimes I would, I'll be forced into tactical situations where I'll have to go head to head with people, or maybe with my opponent rather, or maybe you know uh, need some bigger beef for whatever reason. And uh, so I figured, you know, I can maintain my um, my affiliation uh, and still have room for some for some. Uh, bigger dudes like Thor and like Ghost Rider. Now, you asked why I picked Ghost Rider, and uh, I have uh, three reasons. Uh, one is that he's the new hotness, and he's the latest model I put together, and he looks really cool, and I thought that I want to have him. A second reason is I um, I think he was a Guardian of the Galaxy. I think that when he was, I don't I don't pretend to have an encyclopedic. Oh novel, yeah yeah yeah. I think you're I right. Take, uh, he was he was um, he was Frank Castle Ghost Rider or something. I yeah, don't I don't think it's works. Johnny Blaze, but I think right. it's one of the Ghost Riders because yeah. I think over time there's like three or four of them. So um, so technically, you know. And then the third reason is that the other big advantage that I that I've noticed with the Guardians of the Galaxy is that they they can uh, really put a lot of conditions on people, and so does uh, and so does. Um, Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider has seems to be able to have a lot of kind of condition stuff, and um, uh, yeah, so that's that's why I uh, added Ghost Rider. I have another reason that we'll get to when we get to the tactics cards, I think. But that's uh, I hope that's not yeah. Too go, long. Go, Ghost Rider has some very spicy tactics cards, which we'll get into in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, so for newer players, I just want to point this out. I really think you hit it on the head with liking expensive characters to go with Guardians of the Galaxy. Because Guardians of the Galaxy is somewhat unique in that they are by far the cheapest team to hit the, like, uh, uh, what's it called? The minimum three characters you need. So th- this is something you'll notice when you're building rosters, but um, you typically need three characters that are affiliated um, to... Uh, get an affiliation bonus because typically you're playing four or five characters and both of those amount of characters require three uh, affiliated characters and guardians has by far the cheapest. Um, you can take star Lord rocket and nebula at seven points, which means that with Thor and ghost rider who are 10 points together, which is a huge chunk, you can still fit that all in 17 threat, which is the most common scenario threat level. Uh, and still be Guardians of the Galaxy affiliated, which I think is uh, just a really exciting uh, thing you can kind of exploit with them, is that they're very good at splashing expensive characters. Well, 
I'm glad that my intuition was uh, was on the ball then. Yeah. Uh, I also think the gem is a really good uh, choice. I feel I feel like people have been taking power gem less and less with guardians, but I uh, I, th- I think it's partially because people have been playing Ronin less. I think Ronin with the gem is amazing. Star Lord with the gem is okay, but it's not like uh, as common take. But yeah, I, I I like all the stuff about this uh, this character selection. It's thematic. Oh. You've got good stuff filling in. Um, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's really good to hear, uh, um, Mark. Uh, especially since um, you know it it was primarily a thematic roster. You know, it's it's so it it seems like uh, uh, you know Atomic Mass have done a good a good job of you know uh, pointing newer players like myself into uh, at least building the start of effective rosters just by uh, you know suggesting um, you know possibilities uh, by their model count if nothing else. Yeah, I, I think they've done an incredibly job of uh, incentivizing thematic teams. Um, the the fact that your in theme characters always outnumber your out of theme characters means you don't get like completely wacky teams. Um, yeah, I, I I think this is great and fluffy. Um, seems pretty solid. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to tactics real quick. Uh, yeah. So here you've got all you've got, Brace for Impact, Crew of the Milano, Daughters of Thanos, Deadly Duo, Deal with the Devil, a lot of Ds, uh, Disarm, and I We Are Drew. <laughs> um, I think this is a pretty solid spread. I think not enough people are taking Disarm right now. I think it's incredibly good. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad to see it kind of entering the public consciousness again. Because uh, I think it was popular when the core set first came out, but uh, it like I I don't know why it fell out of favor. Uh, but yeah, I, I I love disarm seeing disarm, and then you've got a lot of character specific ones here. So you've got Daughters of Thanos, which requires both Gamora and Nebula. You've got Deadly Duo, which requires Rocket and Groot. You've got Deal with the Devil, which requires Ghost Rider, and you've got We Are Groot, uh, which requires Groot. Uh, hence the name. Uh, and so if you ever somehow find yourself where you're not playing those five characters, right? That's five. Yeah. Gamora, Nebula, Rocket, Groot. You only have four tactics cards that you can play. Um, so I think this is definitely something for newer players to consider is you always want to be playing five tactics cards, um, uh, especially in Guardians, because you can always just trash them if need be. Um, so something we definitely want to investigate during today's discussion is whether you're consistently always being able to play five tactics cards with the teams you want to be playing. Well, let me ask you this, because it may be that I'm misinterpreting a rule. Uh, if I don't field uh, either Gamora or Nebula, can I still have uh, Daughters of Thanos as a tactics card? I'm fairly certain not. I know you can't have cards that are not matching your affiliation or an affiliated. I don't know about ones that require characters offhand. Um, I'll actually pull that up if I can find it. Because, of course, the advantage of of, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, although it is a minor one, is that uh, uh, they can make use of any tactics card, right? Uh, Thanks to Star-Lord's leadership ability. Yeah. 
I'm not going to be able to find the answer to this in a timely manner, but I believe you cannot. So, okay, so that's yeah. so that's a miss. That that's that's a uh, um, that's a miss on my part, and it certainly would have would have been something that I looked at because um, uh, my entire rationale for taking these tactics cards was that was to try to pick uh, uh, relatively power, powerful, if narrower ones. Uh, on, with the understanding that I would be able to make some use of them um, uh, one way or the other, and um, you know, given uh, given the assumption that we cannot, then that's certainly um, uh, some good advice you're offering. By um, actually, I found the passage, uh, so okay. you actually can, it seems. Okay. Um, it it only specifies that you're able to take affiliated cards if you are that affiliation. It doesn't say anything about. Uh, specifically disallowing tactics cards you can't play based on character restrictions. That's an interesting detail I've never noticed before. So I, I think Guardians, it's definitely a lot more permissible in, because uh, you can always trash them if need be, unless they uh, KO Star-Lord super fast, which they probably won't be able to do. Um, but that's an interesting interaction I've never run into before. Well, probably because it's not particularly optimal. Um, one of the unfortunate things about the Guardians of the Galaxy is that um, I think it's generally recognized, and I agree that uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, leadership affiliation uh, ability might be the weakest of all the affili affiliations. And if only because it's the only one that I know of that actually has a cost to it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's the well, th some cost power, but costing tactics cards is an incredibly high price. Um, right. For not a huge benefit, I and mean, it's not nothing. To, uh, you know that, that the winging it tokens are very useful, and very flexible, but it's not. It, it it doesn't have the swinginess of a lot of the tactics cards. I think. Yeah, I think there's also a psychological aspect. I I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show before, but. Uh, there, there were cards in Magic the Gathering's history that let you discard cards to do really powerful effects. Um, so specifically, I'm talking about spell shapers from back in Prophecy Block, if I recall, that where the effect that they would be would essentially be stuff that actual cards did. And so it was really powerful because you could discard lands to essentially do a spell, but people really hated it because uh, they hated discarding cards. Um, and so I, I think definitely uh, a huge part of why everyone's so sour on the leadership ability is the fact that you have to discard cards to do it, which just feels so bad. Because you've, you've got all these fun and exciting effects on your tactics cards. Do you really want to trade that in for just rerolls? And rerolls are deceptively good, but... Uh, yeah, no, no. It, it's interesting that you bring up magic because as... as um will probably come as no surprise to you. I'm, I'm, um, you know, very long-term magic player as well. And so a lot of my, um, evaluation of game pieces in tactical games like this, um, uh, come from magic. So when I thought of winging it as an ability, I thought also of these, of these cards in magic that say as an additional cost do X. So as an additional, I thought of the, as an additional cost, sacrifice a creature right which is of yeah. course a feel bad for a lot of people but of course um in the right circumstances and with the right strategy can be more of an advantage to a disadvantage so you know i don't want to stretch the analogy too far but you know it's interesting that we both kind of thought of the of similar uh things from a from a parallel game 
Yeah, I, I think I think uh, magic has a lot of applications in a lot of tabletop games, not necessarily one to one, but I think Crisis Protocol has a lot of. Uh, you can talk about uh, tempo. I've done uh, a YouTube video on who's the beatdown, which is a classic yeah. Magic the Gathering concept. Uh, I think Danger Room did a... Yeah, it was Danger Room. Um, they did a really good Who's the Beatdown episode as well. But I, I think there's a lot of good lessons to learn from Magic the Gathering because uh, it's a well-designed, tight rules game like Marvel Crisis Protocol, and it had some uh, similarities that you can pull over into the thought right. process. Yep, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, this this whole uh, segue aside about whether it's permissible or not, I'm uh, totally open to the uh, to the suggestion that the that these cards are um, uh, pretty narrow, maybe too narrow to have the the impact that I would want them to have um, uh, for my roster. And uh, certainly there's, there's some of them that, you know, I've had second thoughts about that, you know, they're included for reasons of, of theme and, uh, you know, could probably do with being replaced. But, you know, that's a section further down, I think, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And I, I think this is, uh, I, I think it's definitely permissible in Guardians, but I think a good rule of thumb is if you ever end up playing a game where you actually don't get to take five tactics cards you need to go back and rebuild your roster. I've done it to myself a few times where I'm like, oh, God damn it. Like, I took this weird combination of characters because I felt it was right, but it totally screwed up my tactic selection. Um, so that's yeah. uh, just, I think, a good rule of thumb when you're starting to play games uh, with a roster and trying to understand whether you're happy with it. If you ever can't play five of your tactics cards... Uh, that's when you need to go back to the drawing board. I find it's uh, much more common when you're playing like double affiliation. Like if you're mm-hmm. playing double affiliation with a bunch of obscure splashes, and now you've got lethal protector for venom. But what happens if you don't play venom and yada yada yada? Uh, you can end up in some pretty uh, painful situations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but in, in general, I feel like all of these cards are re- relatively solid in their slot. I think Daughters of Thanos, uh, and I mean, we'll get to this in the cutting time, but uh, I've not seen a lot of love for Daughters of Thanos, and I think that's partially because Gamora is such a, a maligned character. People love Nebula because she's super cheap, and she punches above her weight class. But I think a lot of people have been disappointed with how fragile Gamora is, and so uh, plant, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, The card never really gets a huge payoff because it requires uh, them to be together and Gamora to be uh, not dazed or KO'd before you can get away with it. Um, But uh, that's kind of the only standout one to me. I think all of these are pretty solid. All you've got is going to be pretty great on Ghost Rider. It's going to be pretty great on Thor. Um, Ronan with the Power Gem, he'll do a lot of work with an all you've got. Uh, mm-hmm. Though you probably don't want to do it on Ronan because... Uh, what, what's the name of his on Days effect? Uh, the name. Oh, you got, you got me flat-footed here. Uh, the uh, Accuser. Yep. Right. Uh... 
Yeah, because that that only works if an enemy character caused him to be dazed. So right, enemy effect. Yeah, that's right. That that and means you aren't getting the most out of it. But I think uh, he he can do a lot of damage with like double creed justice and like a couple of extra attacks in a pinch. So I think all you've got is a decent potential card here. And all the guardians in general tend to be better offensively than they are defensively. So you can get decent value out of it. And only days a low amount of threat if need be. Um, yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Building on what you building on what you said, certainly in the in in the, the time since we started talking, um, you know, daughters of Thanos is is a standout as a weaker one, not only for the reasons that you've described, but also in my in my imagination, um, when I think about how I want to deploy the squad and how I want to try to prosecute the uh, the uh, the crises. Um, I don't even know if I want Gamora and Nebula together in the first place. So that, that certainly works across purposes with uh, with my ideas for how I want to actually use this uh, use this roster. Uh, as for the other um, uh, tactics cards, um, the, the I'd like to to um, get your feedback on two uh, things I was working with uh, while I was picking my tactics cards. The first concerns all you've got and deal with the devil specifically because they're um, a little bit of a sac they're a little bit sacrificial right they require you to damage your own team in some ways um, in order to get in order to get use out of the cards and I um, building on my assumption that the the uh, guardians roster has a lot of cheaper characters I was um, um, presuming that these cards would be, uh, you know, more effective maybe than in a in a, a tighter, um, taller roster. Uh, what do you think of that assumption? Uh, I think it depends. So, in my opinion, the literal perfect way to use all you've got is Modok. Uh, Modok is quite possibly the best character in the entire game. I think he is the most efficient for his points cost out of anyone. And he eats all you've got incredibly well because he generates a ton of power because uh, his builder, his basic free attack that generates him power, it also has an ability where he steals power from people if he gets wilds, right? So he's flush with power, which means he very commonly can afford to all you've got. He's also purely range four attacks. So uh, even if you daze somebody unexpectedly by spiking, you've probably got a ton of extra targets within range four of you. So you can kind of overflow your double activation very efficiently. Um, and so I personally, I think he gets the most work out of it. Uh, that said, since he's so expensive, he's a five threat character. Uh, you very often want to take field dressing so that you don't have to pay the consequences of the dazing, especially because Modok becomes significantly worse on his flip side he loses a lot of his defensive abilities and goes down to four stamina, which means right. if your opponent gets priority, uh, which they're probably going to because you just dazed a bunch of their characters that probably haven't activated yet, um, your opponent goes first and literally one-shots mode if you don't uh, use field dressing to undaze him. Uh, that right. said, with the Guardians, since all of your characters are a lot more cheaper, I think you're a lot more tolerant of just like taking the daze uh, so I think you can get some good work there. I think Rocket being a really solid range 5 turret is a very good all-you've-got target. I think Thor can be pretty solid, 
the one downside to Thor is that all you've got is one big turn, right? It's not two turns, which means he can only four Asgard once, he can only throw once. Uh, but right. if you've got a really hard target, you can four Asgard in and then just hit them three more times and get a pretty significant amount of work done. Uh, and he gets tougher on his injured side, so it's not like dazing him is the end of the world. He'll probably survive to make at least one more activation after you all you've got him. Right, right. And so this is this is really interesting, and I didn't I didn't think about that because I I deliberately didn't look at any of the so-called healing cards, which I which from my understanding tend to be very very popular. Some of the top most used cards, yep. uh, certainly in competitive play. <laughs> And and um, the reason why I didn't pick uh, you know uh, med pack or or field dressing or any of those cards like that uh, was for the same reason I mentioned uh, uh, before, which is that you know uh, if if I've got uh, you know more characters on the board uh, or cheaper characters, that means to a certain extent they're a little bit more expendable. And um, do you uh, do you agree with that assessment, or should I reconsider some of these some of these healing cards? I mean, I've got I've got we are Groot, of course. So I, I think it depends. So I think Gamora, incredibly uh, paper thin. I think she kind of dies to a stiff breeze. Uh, Nebula can also go down pretty fast. She doesn't have super high stamina. She has pretty decent defenses uh, with her abilities, and she regens herself. Um, Groot and Ronan are exceptionally tanky, and so is Thor. Uh, and when you have a tanky character... Uh, often these heals mean that you get to survive until you activate an extra time. Um, so you can kind of think of them as protection against losing activations. But if you're playing a swarm with a lot of very... Uh, uh, what's the word? Not very tough characters. I think it can be a very good call to just forego healing and take other powerful effects, because there's a lot of powerful effects. Actually... Uh, I think you did a very good job in taking Brace for Impact. You didn't call it out as a healing card, but I almost treat it like a healing card um, because <laughs> it it pretty much always... So if your character's being thrown, it's just prevent one damage. And if something's being thrown into your character, especially if you don't have really good dodge rolls or flat damage reduction, uh, you're almost guaranteed to take a couple of damage from a, bra uh, from a throw. So having Brace in there to protect yourself is almost like a healing card. And I think it's extra important for Rocket, because one of the most common ways you take out Rocket is you throw Groot into Rocket. Right. If they right. stay and together. And, and, and frankly, that's that's exactly why I took the card, because you know I, I listen to a lot of these podcasts, even though I haven't had much chance to play the game. And that was pretty much the first thing that people said was, you know, just... Throws are great anyway, and you know Groot's uh, bodyguard ability isn't so great when you can just throw Groot into rocket. Um, so, so that card is there. I added that card specifically uh, for that interaction, at least for you know maybe the critical turn when uh, when an opponent tries to do that. But uh, you know, from the sounds of it, it has a broader application than I than I initially imagined. Yeah, and I think this is something you'll notice once you get table time, is uh, you, you can tell when tactics cards just aren't working. Uh, you'll notice, like, game after game, you're just not playing them because they don't come up. Or, like, sometimes characters have really bad power generation, and so you have this really cool, expensive tactics card you want to play off of them, but you never get to. Um, and so I think that's definitely something that 
newer players with newer rosters should be looking at when they're playing is what tactics am I never taking? What tactics am I never playing? And those are the ones you want to try and experiment swapping it with uh, and try and find something that you see played with. Though, admittedly, with Guardians, it always feels less bad because you can discard them out. I think that's also another good thing about Brace. Some teams just don't have a lot of good throws, so you can just turn Brace into rerolls if your opponent ends up not taking a lot of throws. Right, right. Okay. All right, well, well, I mean, this is giving me some great ideas. Um, I guess we'll talk We'll, we'll talk about... Uh, uh, I think we have. A, we both have a pretty good idea of if we were to place, replace one card, which one is going to go. And, you know, maybe we can talk then about what to replace it with. Yeah, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that in a bit, but I want to go through your crises real quick. Um, so you've got Infinity Formula Goes Missing, Portals Overrun City with Spider People, Riot Spark Over Extremist 3.0, Mystic Wakandan Herbs Factor Fiction, Fear Grips World as Worthy Terrorized Cities, and Spider-Infected Invade Manhattan. Uh, so... Uh, just going through these, uh, some of the notable, notable missing ones for me is I think evacuation is incredibly good if you're taking uh, Guardians because you have the power gem, which means that if you can generate a single power from somewhere, whoever's holding your power gem can uh, cash in a civilian for VP's ring too, um, which can be really powerful. Um and it's a yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just uh, ah, vocalizing. Yeah. Keep keep talking. Um, I'm actually not sure what the um what's it called the secure game for Guardians should look like, but I really do like that you're able to force a D scenario. So for newer players, uh, when you take crisis cards, you uh depending on who gets priority, somebody gets to pick whether they're picking the extract or the secure. Uh, you take whichever category you end up with and you discard one at random and pick from the remaining two. And so what this means is if you have two scenarios that are similar in an important way to you, you can guarantee that you're always going to get at least one of the scenarios that does that. And so here you've got two D-shaped, uh, it's the diamond shape for those of you who aren't familiar with the exact shape of the crisis. Um, but this means you're able to reliably force a D secure whenever you get secure. Um, and so some teams don't like playing on Ds because uh, it splits them up. Especially the ones that you have to stand on, like uh, Black Order Descends and Riot Spark Over Extremists. Uh, because there's a lot of math where I'm fairly certain range 5 can't... Uh, you, you can position a character such that a range 5 character sitting on the home secure, literally can't touch them without moving off of it. Um, and so being able to play some kind of strategy like that, where since you have a lot of cheaper characters, you're probably going to be able to allocate somebody to the middle and to the sides easier than a team that's got like four characters, um, which is very popular because people uh, like to play smaller teams because that means they get to go first every round more often. Um, but you're able to essentially allocate your threat across the board better than your opponent. And so I think that's a really good combination with uh, Guardians. 
Well, thanks. That's that's exactly what I was going for and why. Um, and the, the other the other thing I was trying for when I was picking my crises was I was I was trying to get low point values if I could, right? Um, for the for for the, a similar reason, right? Um, if uh, uh, my opponent is trying to use more uh, or more expensive uh, models, I feel like intuitively like I should be able to leverage my advantage in num in model count more with fewer models and with more. I know that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but that's that's kind of what I was what I was going at. Given the given the array of crises point values available, though, particularly since I want to um, I want to try to force a wider board as much as possible. I, I don't know if that if that strategy is available to us, even if it is correct, and I'm not sure it's correct. It might be. So to be honest, I played a lot more against Guardians than I have with them. I played a decent amount when they first came out, uh, and then kind of fell off for a while because. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, there was like a couple of months between Star-Lord and Rocket and Groot and all the rest. Uh, like it did Black Order in the middle uh, before finishing Guardians. And so I've, I've mostly been playing versus it than as it. But I think definitely, yeah. So you're, you're typically going to play wider than your opponent. But once you start getting into higher points values, uh, they're able to have a comparable amount of bodies. Like they're only going to be behind by a couple of bodies. But their bodies are going to be way better than yours at actually doing stuff. Um, like when you put Drax against Thor, it's going to be a bad time, right? For Drax. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I think definitely playing to lower threat where you're able to take advantage of your higher body count a little bit better is a good strategy from what I've seen. Though you do have to be a little bit Careful, because one of the most common low threat scenario or scenarios that you're not taking is gamma wave sweeps across Midwest, and I think Guardians are not super great on them because it forces them into a very small vertical column up the middle of the board. Um, and since your guys aren't incredibly tough, uh, you kind of get into this punching match where unless you're able to hit first and hit hard enough to make a difference, they'll just kind of plow through you. Right, and that's uh, gamma wave, uh, and the E um, setups in particular were were precisely why I wanted to include a couple of beaters uh, and high point value guys in my roster. Yeah, and so th this is more of a game specific thing that you'll notice, like once you got on, get onto the board, Thor is actually pretty good at dealing with Mogok, which uh, I would say at this point in the game you really should have an answer for Mogok. Um, there's a few ways to deal with him. You can take your own Modok. You can uh, you can try and hunt him down with somebody like Corvus Proxima as a pair. They can do a pretty good job of hunting him. Um, or just like pushing him away with a Shuri, applying statuses. Uh, but Thor kind of does all of that in a relatively efficient package. Because if he does a single point of damage on his uh, four Asgard attack... Modok staggered, and Modok losing an activation is almost as bad as Daisy. Well, good for me that uh, that the Guardians have a ton of different status dealers, right? Yeah, and M Modok hates uh, taking statuses because uh, he very rarely has ways to clear them. And on top of that, um, he really doesn't want to spend activations to shake it off unless it's really bad. 
Um, so you can like pepper him with like a shock from Thor early and then like a stagger and uh, a bunch of other stuff off of uh, Star Lord's guns and uh, just kind of kind of control him a little bit. And I think that's uh, a decent game plan there. But I think you should definitely be looking to force Thor if you're ever seeing a Cabal team uh, forcing Gamma into you. Um, right. That's something to look out for. Uh, on your extracts, you've got a little bit of a diversified strategy here. You don't have any similar shape. You don't. Uh, none of these uh, extracts behave in a similar way either. So uh, I, I just want to hone in on Mystic Wakandan herbs for a second. Uh, so in my experience, unless you have mobility tricks, uh, herbs is a scenario you take when you essentially want the game to always go to round six and it's just going to be a slugfest. Um, so I think here you want to kind of ask yourself, are you willing to force slugfests that are always going to go to round six and feel confident coming ahead in attrition? And I'm not sure if that's the case because a lot of your bodies are easier to daze than other affiliations. So this might be a card you want to cut unless you feel very comfortable. No, absolutely, and it's uh, I, I'm so glad that you honed in on this card in particular. It's it's uh, among my crises as a 15 pointer because, uh, like I say, my theory crafting intuition was telling me that I wanted lower points and I want to uh, I want to try to get some secures. Uh, I want to I want to try to get uh, some wider. Uh, um, uh, map layouts to, to to leverage my higher model count, but uh, as I started going through the crises and you know trying to imagine how they might play out, um, I, I didn't really come back to mystical condon herbs. And it's only you know um, after we first uh, uh, initially started talking that I realized that you know not only is uh, does it really not do what I want to do, it probably actively works against. Uh, any strategy I want, if I want to use, um, you know, ra uh, Rocket Raccoon, for example, he's a guy who you want, I imagine, to sit back on a, on a, uh, on what, what do you call it, a home point or something, and yeah, a defensive uh, collect, point, yeah, home a point, point and collect collect VPs passively while reaching out and touching, you know, any um, any uh, opponents who dare to stray into his his uh, his five range, um, you know, laser gun, um, and on. Uh, on uh, herbs, the only option for him to do is to stand basically where the entire enemy team wants to go. Um, so yeah. Well, again, it depends because I think the consensus is unless you've got movement shenanigans that allow you to get the herb faster, a lot of people don't even bother to go grab it. Uh, so like Wakanda, ironically, they have Black Panther who has paints. Um, and Gamora is similar in a lot of ways, but She's just so much easier to take out than Black Panther. Mm. Like, she's got the mobility, but if she runs up to your opponent's side of the board and tries to pick up the herb, she's going to die horribly. <laughs> Especially because, since Guardians are typically playing a bit wider, you're probably not going to have priority round two, which means they get to hit her before she moves, if they weren't able right. to hit her towards the end of round one. Um, so they could they could, they could uh, um, uh, kill her round two before, like, KO her before she gets an activation. Yeah, and again, if you feel very confident with your Guardians team because of stuff like Thor or other inclusions, 
that you want to brawl and you just want the game to not end because you know at the end you're going to be able to TKO or have enough of an attrition advantage that you're going to score out for the remaining turns better than your opponent, uh, I think herbs is definitely one to avoid. Right. Gotcha. Uh, and with that, let's just kick over into 15 threats. So... Uh, since you're a newer player and there's a lot of knowledge that has to go on around other threat values, we're just going to focus on 15 threat today. Uh, because I really like thinking about 15 threat teams for a roster, because since that's the lowest threat value, you can always add or modify your base 15 threat roster into something uh, bigger for bigger threat values and still have a lot of similarity uh, with your comfort zone at your like 15 uh, base. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really um, uh, smart way to do that. You know, you're either adding adding a whole other character depending on the point level, or you're you're choosing a character above replacement level, right? So you're trying to see how much better this uh, four point dude is than this um, than this two point gal, for example, right? Yeah, and that's that's pretty easy to do when you're comparing one for one. So I, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and uh, obviously there's more nuance into this as you get into it more and more, but I think understanding what your 15 threat team is and more thinking about how am I going to build on top of this is a very good way to start uh, and be prepared for any crisis. Um, and here in particular, the one that draws my eye, uh, it's an all-Guardians roster, but I think it's pretty solid and covers a lot of bases is Star-Lord, Groot, Rocket, Ronin, Power Gem on either of them. I typically prefer it on Ronin to Star-Lord, but depending on the scenario uh, and how you're feeling about it, you can definitely put it on Star-Lord just fine. Um, what are some of the others? So, if, if like, you could also think about a very Brawl-focused team, like Star-Lord, Thor, Groot, uh, Ronin. That's a lot of just stamina and raw defensive stats that your opponent has to get through. Um, and basically, Star-Lord's the only character that they want to attack because Thor is incredibly tanky, and if you power him up, he'll wreck your day. Uh, Groot, if you don't daze him, uh, his healing is more efficient than the power he gains from taking damage, if I recall correctly. Is it two for three or two? No, it's two for three. Right? It's, yeah. it's Yeah. So if your opponent does two damage, he gets to heal three. So essentially he always gets to heal back up to full if you let him get to his activation without dazing him. Uh, and then Ronin, if you daze him, he gets a free attack and move on you. Uh, so I think like if you think you're going to go into a brawl, like let's say your opponent puts down Gamma, you put down Wakandan Herbs, it's just going to be a big dumb brawl in the center. I think that would be a very attractive team with your roster at 15. Um, all that's all that makes sense. Um, my my one question is that you're um, you seem to be advocating for a four character roster at at 15, um, which seems to be the worst of both worlds to me. In that, on the one hand, I'll probably not have priority against like some really killy rosters, three figure rosters that I've seen. At 15, and on the other hand, it's kind of doesn't seem like enough to go wide. So um, what I will say is that um, what's it called? 
uh, three character teams are actually surprisingly rare. Um, Black Order is probably the most common uh, with like some kind of Thanos, Corvus, Proxima team. There's some Avengers teams that like Cap, Thor, Hulk. Um, but at 15 threat, I think you're going to see a lot more four threat or four man teams than you are three. Um, and I think it also partially depends on whether you have prio. So, uh, you determine priority at the beginning roll of the game before you, uh, figure out your roster, right? Um, so it's important to force priority if you think it's valuable to keep it. Um, especially if you can keep it to at least the beginning of round two, so that once everyone moves to the middle, you can make the most efficient attacks. Um, but I think it's also entirely fine if you know that you don't have priority, just give it up and play a wider team like uh, Star-Lord, Groot, Ronin, Rocket, Nebula with the power gem on somebody. Um, the So but the priority is very powerful, but there's also the advantage of with a wider team, you get more uh, ability to delay and see what your opponent's going to do. Or they can pass and make it easier for a priority to randomly flip onto you, which is valuable. Um, so I, I think if you want to play wide, you've got a good wide team here. If you're playing something on Gamma, I think uh, that four-character roster is a very uh, tough four-character roster, especially because Thor, Groot, and Ronin can all sit in the middle very well, and Star-Lord can sit on the back pretty well. Can, can I just segue for a sec to... Yeah. to to wax enthusiastic because I think this whole priority thing is such a, such a, a, a great solution that, that these uh, rules designers have come, come up with against like um, the, the um, I don't want to call it a scourge, but the easy tactic of, you know, um, uh, swarm strategies that, that seem to be really effective in so many other games. Like just this, this, this uh, minor balancing uh, tip that suddenly has everybody thinking about not trying to figure out how to get as many activations on the table as possible, but how to be able to go first is and and which of those two things is better rather than one being a clearly superior option? It's just such a great idea. I can't wait to play this game and and see how it works out in real life. Yeah, uh, I, I think the general consensus is priority is really valuable, but I think that's because the game's dominated right now by heavy hitters. Um, like Thor, like Modok, like Corvus, um, that all want to set up for round two and then just sucker punch somebody as hard as you can opening of the round and say, I don't care if I lose priority, I just took out your biggest threat um, and I'm going to try and ride that through the mid game. Um, but I think there's definitely a lot of value cases for going wider, completely seeding priority, um, and being able to wait out, see what your opponent does, spread out onto more spread out scenarios better. Um, and I think you can intentionally force that and still make it a good option. All right, great. Uh, l let me just ask you this then: um, um, what do you think of what do you think of the OG Guardians as a as a starting point for Fifteenth Threat? That is Star Lord, um, Groot, Rocket, Gamora, and Drax. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's decent. Uh, so the the one thing I notice here is that Groot is essentially your only tanky frontline character. Mm -hmm. uh, and you've got a lot of short-range characters 
that aren't that tanky. Dra Drax is decently tanky, but he's not insane. Um, but typically what this means is that one of Groot's biggest advantages is once you have a lot of beefy characters, um, they kind of have to like choose between which one to deal with, which is why I really like having Ronan and Groot together, or Ronan Groot 4. Uh, whereas here, they'll just ignore Groot, uh, Groot and uh, go after Drax, they'll go after Gamora, they'll go after Nebula. Um, and that's especially problematic because Groot doesn't really have any long-range stuff. He's got his tangling of Vine, Vine superpower, but it's hard for him to have good action uh, economy. Um, so the idea that you're getting value out of your actions, uh, you'll you'll find yourself in a situation where you either separate him from Rocket and make Rocket a little bit vulnerable, or he just can't really do anything because all of his attacks are range two. Right. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. So I, I don't think it's terrible, but I think Groot is going to feel real bad if you do that. Uh, and I have almost removed Groot for another three cost. Um, you don't have any additional three costs in your roster, but that that would be like kind of my go-to. Like, uh, find room for Valkyrie in your ten characters and take her instead of Groot, and just say Rocket, you're going to hide behind a car. And you're just going to hope LOS is going to carry you <laughs> to the end of the game. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to hopefully have a chance to talk about Valkyrie in a sec, because I'm very excited about uh, about some ideas that this conversation has given me and also some anticipated releases um, and how that's going to change the roster as well. Yeah. And then let's uh, switch over to 17 threat real quick uh, to kind of build on the building from 15 base uh, and also to... Uh, What's it called? Uh, talk about 17 threat, which is by far the most common threat level in the game. Uh, this is kind of your meat and potatoes. Your demo games are 17 threat, so it's it's typically five characters. Sometimes it's four if people are kind of like consolidating their power into some beefier characters. Occasionally six, but that's more of a Guardians thing than anyone else. Um, so here are the standout teams to me. Uh, so going with the beefier fighting team, which was Star-Lord, Root, Ronin, uh, Thor. And did that one have a gem? No, it did not. Um, so here, I would just look at slotting in Nebula. She's a really great two, incredibly uh, points efficient, um, and she can play super forwards and kind of enhance what you're doing with your strong BP middle pieces. Uh, but you also can take Rocket. If you need somebody who needs to sit on a backline objective, like let's say you're playing Infinity Formula, which is a B scenario, which means you kind of have two uh, secures that are just outside of your deployment zone, you just park Star-Lord on one, Rocket on the other, and then you send uh, Thor and Ronin to kind of harass their uh, secures while Groot tries to protect Rocket. Um, right, and so I think that's a really solid one. If we go with uh, one of the like pure Guardians teams, uh, you can upgrade the Infinity Gem to add in the three costs you weren't taking previously. So that would be like Star-Lord, Brute, Gamora, Rocket, Drax, Nebula. Uh, I think that's very wide. You have to be okay with essentially never having priority unless you're about to lose the game. Because that means they dazed a bunch of your characters before they got to go. So you're going to be in a really dire spot if you ever get priority. 
but I, th I think you can go really wide if you're doing something that's like a combination of a F scenario and a D scenario or a B scenario where basically everyone has to cover the full board. I think that can be a very reasonable option. Uh, Gamora and Nebula, very mobile. They can kind of run up to the center and keep back. Uh, you've got good backline characters to hold whatever your backline is, and then you've got Drax and Groot to kind of push up. Uh, but so you you have a lot of little tools here that are uh, easy to modify threats. So like if you weren't taking the power gem before, if you're going one threat higher, just slot in the power gem. Uh, if it's a two threat difference, then you can turn the power gem into a three cost. You can turn a three cost into one of your five costs. So for like either of the teams we discussed before, uh, Groot or Drax can all of a sudden turn into Thor or Ghost Rider. Um, and so th thinking about those upgrades and like what are the pieces that are least necessary to your core game plan that you can uh, replace is definitely something important to think about. Now I feel like these that 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 uh, uh, this uh, is a pretty maybe the more most complicated um, step in um, in envisioning a roster because it's so dependent on you know what the combinations of crises are uh, compared to the threat level and also what your uh, opponent's uh, roster proposes that they might feel field. So there seems like there's a, there's an element of yeah even gamesmanship in trying to figure out what characters you uh, feel comfortable using or even what characters you can use to counter or try to counter what you anticipate your opponent to be using. Yeah, and just to put this in perspective for the listeners, because we've got visual aids, um, at 15 threat, you have 33 possible teams you can field that are still affiliated and have your leader in like we're we're not even getting into the possible teams where you're like eh, I don't really care about the Guardians' leadership. Let me get rid of Star Lord so I can like build something really wacky. Um, and Seventeen Threat is even more at thirty four. And so I think like between fifteen and twenty Threat, under these restrictions, it's like a hundred and eighty possible teams between fifteen and twenty Threat you could possibly be fielding, and. That, that's just like a mind-boggling amount of complexity there. Uh, and to that end, I think it's really important to identify what you're comfortable playing, and you play that comfort, and then like start doing a little bit of thinking about what your opponent's doing. Like, what once you feel good about how do I win with my team, how do I win with Guardians, then you can think about, okay, well, I've been having a hard time playing against MODOK, I've been having a hard time playing against Thor, etc., etc. How do I change my team from what I have been playing if I think they're going to play those pieces? But I think definitely as a starting point, it's more important to be comfortable with what you're able to do than predicting what your opponent's going to do, because I think you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck in that way. Got it, got it. Yeah, and that makes sense, too. Um, yeah, so at this point, we're going to skip the scenario combination discussion uh, for this episode. <laughs> Excuse me. And we're just going to go straight into possible changes. And so we're going to start with the character list. Um, here, I think there's definitely some choices that you can pull depending on taste. Uh, Ghost Rider is the new hotness, and he's a sexy uh, centerpiece to any team. 
but I'm not sure if he shores up what you want to be doing with the Guardians. Um, he's he's kind of high mobility, okay damage, okay tankiness. Um, and while the deal with the devil interaction with lower threat characters is like a neat little uh, deal, I think he's kind of the one that doesn't necessarily go like, wow, how am I forcing Ghost Rider into these teams? Because like, when I'm going to go for a five threat, I'm going to go for Thor here uh, most of the time because he does a lot of stuff that Guardians doesn't off the bat. He's incredibly tanky. Uh, he's he flies, he throws. Yeah, he he just does a ton of work. And that that's another thing to keep in mind. Uh, how, how many throws do you have in a team? Because um, throws can be incredibly powerful. Uh, they can essentially do an activation's worth of damage without having to be an activation, but they're dependent on positioning, like what terrain's on the board. And also, the more characters with throws you have, the more they'll eat up the ammo for each other. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you kind of want to hit like a certain number of throws. Uh, Thor is a little bit different in that he can throw characters. Uh, most superpower throws do not let you throw characters. Well, yeah, it's probably been half and half. I'd have to go through and look at it. But having a throw that can actually throw characters is incredibly powerful because it always means that you can essentially do an auto point to somebody. Uh, by throwing them after you've beaten them up a fair bit. Or you can go into the middle of a bunch of characters and just throw them into each other uh, and do a bunch of damage to multiple enemy targets at the same time. Uh, I believe Ronin can also throw characters, but that's on his attack um, with a wild trigger, so it can be kind of tricky to get off. <laughs> but I think Ghost Rider definitely stands out. I don't have a lot of love for Drax or Gamora either. Those would be ones where I think you want to keep them in just because they help you fill out affiliated teams a lot easier, and they're fun, and they're thematic. But I would definitely be keeping a critical eye on them, and like if they're not making it into your teams very often, or they feel like turds when you do bring them, um, thinking about whether you need to replace them or play them differently, they're definitely the ones that I would be looking at very critically as well. Right, right, and it's a shame because they are such iconic characters. But you know, this uh, they're game pieces too. So you know, it's um, it's there's certainly always a trade-off between how how um, fluffy, how thematic you want to get about it uh, about a character versus how uh, how competitive you want to get. And there's always room to play those characters in fun games too. Yeah, and one one of the beauties of this game is that. Uh, you can take characters just to be able to hit affiliation bonuses, and even if they aren't the most busted things. Like, if you just started taking all the most points-efficient threes you could get your hands on, you would have a pretty crappy team, because you wouldn't have an affiliation bonus. Um, well, you can imagine that that's the one of the uh, first things I did as a new player, is like, how do I get Baron Zemo and Valkyrie and Shuri all in a list together? And the short answer is, you, you kind of can't. Right, because you just don't have enough. Um, yeah, you. Uh, I've done it a couple of times in Cabal, but it becomes really tricky because of how good Modok is. Being able to fit in three threes alongside Modok and Red Skull becomes very problematic. It's even harder for Asgard because their leader's five threat. Um, Wakanda can do it okay because uh, 
Panther, Shuri, uh, Okoye is nine. Mm-hmm. And so then Valkyrie plus Zemo is, uh, what's it called? Uh, 15 threat. But typically Zemo doesn't make the cut because if you're playing a Wakanda team, uh, you're typically trying to abuse their push and throw effects um, and try and like get displacement on secures to generate an advantage. So typically instead of Zemo, you want somebody who does throws. Right, right. Um, as for um, as for which character I'd like to replace, uh, I think Ghost Rider is a, is an easy candidate, um, and I'd like to replace him with Angela. Because yeah. of course she's a, she's a, another guardian, but also that means that I could replace a guardian with another Asgard character, and then maybe look at all of a sudden having a dual faction possibility with Valkyrie, Angela, and Thor all on the roster together. Uh, it might be beyond the scope of the one character swap rule, but you know it's certainly something to. So, so, something no, to I know. think that's definitely something to think about. Uh, there yeah. is, I, I think, with that uh, Angela and Chantress Fox, I think there's going to be a lot of Asgardians of the Galaxy going around in January. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I think Angel's very solid. I think Enchantress is very solid. Um, I think Valkyrie in here is very good. She She's a good, efficient three. She'd definitely be one that I'm pushing. Uh, yeah. Loki so, like, and Hela are the ones that are harder to fit, but if you're trying to go full dual affiliation, I think you can make something work here. My one redundant... My, my one redundant... Uh, talk about uh, not bearing the lead. My one um, objection with having um, Valkyrie in the roster is she kind of makes Gamora redundant uh, because she's does roughly the same thing, maybe arguably a better job, uh, does a better job at doing the same thing uh, for... Uh, lower threat value and uh, you know yeah Gamora's is faster but uh valkyrie is a little bit tankier she has better power generation she actually can throw characters um yeah. but Gamora's is just such a such a beautiful model like it might, might be my favorite in the whole very dynamic pose and the armor plates mm, mm-hmm. if you if you uh, if you paint them clean mm, it looks so good and uh yeah style points uh are a thing unfortunately for us competitive players, right? Yeah. <laughs> got, got a flex on the table. Uh, yeah. Let's kick on over to tactics real quick. So I think the consensus here is that Ghost Rider out of all those 10 is the most likely to be cut, which probably means Deal with the Devil is probably going to be cut. Uh, I also want to nominate Daughters of Thanos as a probable mm-hmm. cut, but I think the other six, all very solid. Okay. Yeah, and certainly uh, there's a number of great options to to look into uh, to replace these two, uh, or uh, either of these, or both, uh, with. Um, um, circling back on our discussion about the the advantages of healing, even in um, e- even in uh, wide rosters, uh, you know, it's possible that uh, that uh, those might see might see my roster, and uh, you know, are there other other options that you uh, that you consider? What about advanced R&D, for example? So advanced R&D is very good as kind of like a power sharing card. So I like it if you're either playing a team that has huge problems with power or if you have a character who ends up being a power battery and can share it with. So if you find yourself taking the power gem very often, that probably means you're going to have excess power on a character who can advance R&D pretty efficiently. 
Uh, if you aren't, I probably wouldn't take it just because I don't feel like there's a lot of setups where you're trying to get an extra power early to do something really powerful. Eh, maybe if you're trying to play around Gamora, giving her an extra power around one so she can assassin leap mm-hmm. onto somebody, that might be worth it if you really want to try and build around Gamora and set her up for success. I think advanced R&D would be decent. Um, I think tactical analysis is decent, especially if you're taking the power gem a lot, because it essentially gives you a free move at the beginning of the game to make people more efficient. Uh, again, especially if you're taking Gamora, because uh, if there's things on the center line of the board, a single long move won't get to it. But if you tactical analysis her, she can single move onto like an extract that's on the center line, but way off to the side pick it up, and then move in towards the middle or do something else with another action. Um, What are some other good tactics cards? I think Doom Prophecy or Blind Obsession can really dial your uh, power up to 11, but you're going to have a lot of problems maintaining priority, and those cards, since they have downsides defensively, uh, they can be really problematic if you use them without priority. because you have to do it during the power phase. Uh, right. Follow me if you find yourself really flush with power that lets a character activate immediately after the one that's currently activating, but it costs six. Um, that can be really nice if you're trying to force your way into priority. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I think just generally healing cards are solid. Uh, I really like field dressing paired with all you've got. Um, yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like you've uh, like like there's a there's a, a lot of options, uh, um, and the problem is uh, going to be paring it down. And uh, a lot of it, I think, has to do with uh, with just reps on the table, uh, finding what my style is, at least with this faction, and uh, uh, choosing cards that uh, that best suit that style. Yeah, I think a really good way to think about this is after every game, if there was a tactics card that didn't feel good to play or a tactics card you didn't play at all, like go to the drawing board and see if there's something that you could replace it with that would have made you happier. Either inside of your eight, like I should have taken this one instead, or should this one even be in the eight at all? And I think like an iterative process there, you'll kind of get a better mental model for what you're trying to do and what you're trying to get out of what you're doing, and uh, what tactics cards fit with your objective. All right, that sounds like great advice. Okay, and then finally, let's go to the crises. Uh, So these we've kind of already covered a fair bit. I really like your um, secures. I might change portals over on City with Spider People with Black Order Descends, uh, just because... Uh, Portals lets you flip it and then walk away, whereas Black Order requires you to stay on it, which can... um, I feel somewhat that the the flip and walk away aspect of Portals alleviates some of the issues of less wide teams, because you can have somebody flip your home and then move on, and then typically, if you're playing it correctly, your opponent shouldn't be able to easily get onto your home one to flip it back. So you've got essentially got it for the rest of the game. So essentially requiring your opponent to park a three or four cost character on their home uh, de-secure can be really painful, and you can turn that into an advantage. 
uh, and then herbs, I think, uh, if you're not feeling great about the grindy brawl plan, I think that's the one you want to remove for extracts. Uh, I'm not sure what the right extract would be, though. Maybe cube. I, I I think given the given our um, uh, available selection of ex- extracts, uh, you can you can force you could force C or force F, but neither one. I I, I don't know the geometry of the tables that well, but it seems to me that 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 neither one um, are necessarily uh, wide enough to have somebody on one of the outer objectives be uh, safe from attack from somebody contesting an inner objective. Uh, C might be... Um, well, so for extracts, you're able to pick them up and then move on. So oh, it, it can often... It, it's typically less... Uh, it can sometimes matter where they are, but it's often how many of them are there or, like, what what's the weird part? Because, like, there's a lot of ones where you just have to keep on rolling dice until you hit a crit. Those ones are really good if you take the reality gem because the reality gem turns skulls into crits, and so you like more than double your odds of being able to flip it over your opponent. Or there's ones that carry uh, care about how good your energy defense is, like origin bombs, uh, and so you want to play a team with high energy defenses. Um, I think here you could uh, force F between spider infected and cube. The one downside here is cubes damage you, and your characters are a little bit less tanky. Um, but may, maybe that's the right call just because uh, since you've got a wider team you can more easily allocate somebody to run up to the center, pick up that and run back before your opponent can or do like a double move with Gamora and pick up their uh, cube or spider infected on their side of the board and kind of see where that gets you right yeah um, and and again, this is definitely something that you want to iterate through. So if you ever pick a crisis and you felt like crap playing it, uh, basically ask yourself, like, was it my play or was it just bad for the teams I'm taking? And that's right. a good way to understand whether you need to pull them. One of the key takeaways that uh, I think we're going to get to <laughs> if we haven't belabored the point already is that there's... You, you could you can get a big chunk of the way towards building a competitive roster by um, uh, by you know really thinking about it and considering your options but but you can only get so far that, that there's nothing no substitute for actual experience yeah you 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 need to play games and find what meshes with you and kind of identify the bad parts and throw them I, I think at least when I was like starting to get into the blossoming of options, I spent a lot of time thinking about all the possible combinations, and then I realized I should just focus on something that I know works and that I like, and then uh, iterate on it, improve it. Branch out from um, there, got it. Because if if I spend all day theory crafting, like I can just end up in a situation. That like it, it doesn't match how it was in my head, um, or like your opponent plays a really weird crisis that you weren't expecting, and it like completely throws the game on its head. That's also another thing. Uh, the missions in Crisis Protocol are so much different than like in any other game. 
like most other competitive organized games, um, they have like a packet of like six or eight scenarios and like, that's it. And you just need to understand how those work and like, make sure that you have a game plan on each of them. Right. But there's eight extracts and seven secures. So that's 56 uh, crisis combinations. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot and growing, you know, seemingly every month as new crises are released. And, and again, you know, I've talked about um, how um, uh, excited I am about the design, the fundamental design of Marvel, Marvel crisis protocol. And I don't know how, um, how long you've been playing uh, tabletop games, Mark, but uh, the whole idea of, of objectives in, in these games um, beyond uh, kill all your opponent's dudes is a relatively recent one, and um, and it's just really exciting to see Atomic Mass uh, take the ball and run with it by you know not only making um, objectives an inherent part of the game, but by uh, developing um, uh, rules around these objectives that you know make it a, a an integral part of each person's roster so a very personalized part and then b having such a diverse array of uh of ways of winning the game which just sort of um gives the gives the game so much flexibility and so much replayability and uh yeah i don't see my myself getting tired of this game anytime soon yeah i i think they're definitely a very much game focused uh tabletop game company that sounds very silly, but uh, for people who aren't familiar with the history of uh, war games, they literally started off as like combat simulations in like military academies. Um, and over the years, they've got more and more game-like. But if you look at historicals or a lot of those games, they are much closer to military simulations and like training tools um, than they are like games that are built around making interesting decisions. Um, and so I think AMG has definitely really embraced the fact that this is a game more than a simulation and it's about creating a smooth experience where you get to make interesting decisions and meaningful ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Uh, do you have any shout outs or plugs you want to do while I've got you on here? Um, Wow, it's it caught me a bit flat-footed. Uh, of course, I, I um, whenever I'm interested in a game, I uh, listen to a lot of podcasts as a general rule, and this game's no exception. Of course, uh, um, you know yours is is one that I uh, consume whenever a new episode comes out, um, but uh, not the only one. Um, House House Party Protocol is certainly one that I really really like, and. Um, Oh darn! What's the name of the one you mentioned recently? Um, Danger Room, uh, Danger Cross the Bike Frost, uh, Ominous Protocol. Uh, there's one called Strike First, which I haven't listened to yet, but I've heard good things. Uh, I don't. Wanna... Th there's more podcasts popping up every day, which I love. I I don't want to leave anybody out, and I think the more we mention, the more that we're uh, the, the, the more I risk you know missing an important one. So I'm just gonna say the da the Danger Room has really. Uh, struck a balance between accessibility and some pretty pretty interesting deep tactical discussions and a house party protocol as um, 
uh, a as a more general um, MCP enthusiast uh, podcast, while still, of course, being rules focused, are my two favorite uh, uh, ones, aside from, of course, Roster Doctor. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, a after uh, that shameless begging for a shout out, uh, I'm going to <laughs> call the episode here. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on, sir. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I hope that uh, you and other newer players who are listening to this get a better understanding of how to think about roster building, uh, and hopefully it's a bit more of an accessible experience going forwards. No, no, thank you. Listen, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to me. I was uh, a little nervous about coming on because, uh, like I say, my, my, my knowledge of... Um, of uh, the game is pretty scant and entirely theoretical and uh, you've done a great job of making me feel welcome and um not dumb at all and uh you know giving me i think a lot of tools that i can use uh moving forward to kind of uh, think about the game and and uh, uh hopefully um uh iterate on my uh base knowledge as i um get a chance to actually play it so uh so thanks again yeah. Well, with that, uh, thank you very much. And to our all of our listeners, thank you again and have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.